god. We haven't oh spoken in a few god. weeks. It's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. I miss I know. you. I miss your face. <laughs> oh shit. All right. All right. <clears throat> Let's do this. <laughs> okay. Nice. Practicing. Warming up is what I meant to say. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to ruse your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. You feel good? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is a That's podcast. Deanna. Yes. Oh. I'm Deanna. <laughs> I love it. And that's Hannah. You're Deanna. I'm Hannah. We're, we probably have like a slight delay in our fucking uh, FaceTime right now, which is going to create some fun times. We've been podcasting via FaceTime for almost a year now. Oh, that's really weird. What a year it's been. What a year. What a year. What a year. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. But this is a this is a podcast about uh, feminine folks throughout history. Generally women, but sometimes just feminine folks. Um, Mm -hmm. We talk pretty casually and loosely about interesting women that we want to share with one another. And um, if that doesn't sound like your thing, then maybe go listen to Alex Jones. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I like how it has it's either or it's uh, also I love the implication that we're somehow all the way at the other end of the spectrum when really we're not. (laughs) I know. I I mean, maybe a little bit if you're a centrist, but, um, you know, yeah, that's a conversation for another day. We talk about. Women, and sometimes we chat about what's going on in the world also, and, you know, we have opinions, and that's just how it is. So, with that being said, we've been doing this, this is our third holiday season, uh, like, episode. This is our third holiday season, period. And that's pretty crazy. That's wild. Yeah. That's so wild. Also, it's so wild. I realized that somebody who was born the day we met is 18 years old now. Uh, fuck off. What? Yeah, because you and I <laughs> oh totally god. met in 2002. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Make me feel old. Yeah, no, it makes me feel real old because I uh, have been watching a lot of Twitch lately. It's kind of been getting me through my after work days and I see some people who are Twitch streamers and then I read their bios and they're like 18 years old and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so old. (laughs) How does Discord work? I don't know because I'm too old. Oh god. Well, you know, Ben's um, younger sister had her 20 fourth birthday um how old was she when you met her uh 11 
She was still, she still had jeans with rhinestone butterflies on the butt pockets, and she still loved pink and loved sparkles, and now she's 24 years old. Yeah, I feel that way and about I, my cousin uh, who's 19 now, <laughs> who was uh, who was born after 9-11, so. Oh my God. <laughs> but she's a proper adult now, and we have adult conversations. Wow. The world, it's weird. It's, it's almost like that's how time works, and we're just coping with it poorly. Oh. I know. Well, I still feel like, and maybe this is the millennial problem, that like I'm still young, partly because like we were talking about before this episode, we were talking about how like our generation will never have houses or retirement or... Um, it's not like I'm, I'm wishing I could be 24 again, because I am very much content with how comfortable I feel with my identity now. Yes. Like, I feel less like I'm exploring who I am. Like, I'm pretty secure in who I am now, which is awesome, an awesome part of being in your 30s. Yeah, um, with all that being said, um, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Whichever holiday you feel you celebrate. Old too? <laughs> yeah, let us know. Do you not feel your age? <laughs> God. And on that note, should I actually talk about a lady? You should. Okay. I'm sure yes, everybody ma'am. listening is like ready for it too, depending on how much we we had to cut. Sorry, Ben. Um, but my but my lady this week is going to be fairly brief but really cool. So I'm hoping that everybody gets something fun out of it. Um, oh, yeah. I want to talk this week about Sarah Biffin. What? Maybe that's not familiar, but for whatever reason, it it like. I don't know. Knocked at the door in my brain. Could be. That name. Uh, she, I don't think she would be particularly well known. Um, okay. She's more obscure, but uh, one of my sources this week is Rejected Princesses, so maybe you saw her name. Oh. But my other sources this week are um, a piece from Philip Mould, Mould.com by Emma Rutherford. Uh, number one London.net had a piece by Victoria Hinshaw. Um, Wikipedia, nationalgalleries.org, uh, Rejected Princesses, and then um, an excerpt I'm using from a book called Curious Epitaphs, which was collected and edited by uh, William Andrews. Okay. So let's dive right in, shall we? I'm ready. Okay. So the life of an artist in 1800s England wasn't necessarily easy. Uh, I think it was probably pretty competitive. Um, if you weren't born wealthy, it was really hard to get training, uh, patrons, or or even respect. And, and that was if you were a man. <laughs> it was even more difficult if you were a woman. And even, even more difficult if you were a disabled woman. Oh. So Sarah Biffin was born to poor working-class parents in rural Somerset, England, in 1784. And she also happened to be born without arms or legs. Oh. It was a condition known oh as uh, Focamelia. And um, she survived infancy only because uh, a clergyman intervened and protected her. From being... Killed. From having her Abandoned. life taken. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Because Ooh. because back then it was, you know, seen as like a sign of the devil or a demon or something if you were born physically disabled. Right. God was punishing yeah, yeah. punishing you or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. She was she was um feared by some people in her little village because they just people don't still to this day people don't know what to do with things they're not familiar with. Right. So her family didn't really have much of an idea of how to care for her. Um, her parents kind of treated her like she was a fragile object. They kind of infantilized her a little bit. Um, but she was very tenacious and um, was hellbent on pushing herself into learning things that she wanted to learn. So um, she did learn to read. And when her parents would leave the house to go to work, she started to teach herself how to sew with her mouth. I was like, wow. With her mouth. I can't even imagine. Because mm-hmm. I have been hand sewing a lot this summer. And that is like. She it, does not have very... arms or legs. She is a torso and a head. God, she must have been strong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So by age eight, she had taught herself how to thread a needle, tie a knot, and make her own dresses. Wow. With her mouth. Wow. <laughs> um. By age 12, That's incredible. Mm-hmm, she was satisfied with her sewing abilities. And because she already knew how to read, she started to learn how to write with her mouth. Oh, I was like, uh, and before long, she was wow. she was writing letters to her friends and was able to keep in touch with people. She sewed loops into the shoulders of her dresses to help hold up the instruments she was using so that oh. they would stay steady while she used her mouth to create the shapes that's fucking ingenious yeah it really is yeah and it was those same loops that would one day help to hold her paintbrushes steady her life changed a lot around the age of 14 because her family met a traveling salesman named emmanuel dukes he's he was known as a businessman which kind of in that time could read as swindler Mm. and he basically he had a little bit of a background in art. He saw potential in her and he offered her and her family a deal. He would give her room board and a salary if she joined his traveling sideshow. Ah, It's mm -hmm. pretty unknown how much of the decision was hers or her parents, but she ultimately went with him. And um, so she was part of- How old was she, did you say? 14. 14, okay. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's pretty common knowledge to a lot of people that like freak shows and stuff like that were really big back then. They would travel and 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 people who had sort of physical differences or what have you, some sort of curiosity mm-hmm. or oddity. You could travel and make money for the people who were in charge, basically. Yeah. To get to pay yeah. to gawk at you. Um, right. So Dukes. He billed her as the Astonishing Curiosity and or the Limbless Wonder. Really cool. Fun. And yeah. he charged wow. upwards of two shillings for people to simply watch her sew, write, and cut out portraits. Oh. And by the age of 20, she'd begun learning how to paint under his tutelage since he had like a basic knowledge of art. She picked it up oh, incredibly man. quickly because obviously she had a facility with a pen already, quill yeah. or whatever she used to write with. And in no time, she basically became a celebrity of the fairgrounds that she was at. 
She would yeah. draw landscapes or paint portrait miniatures on ivory with contemporaries praising her skill. And um, I'm going to talk about it more later, but painting miniatures is already way harder than painting big swaths of canvas because the amount yeah, of sheer that? detail, is... there it's just like little teeny tiny portraits that you can hold in the palm of your hand. And it is what oh. she ultimately became known for was painting miniatures. Oh, yes. So Dukes would take advantage of knowing her very well and would bet any onlooker <sighs> that she could paint, um, sew, write, or use scissors using her mouth. And if he if she couldn't do it, he would pay the person a thousand guineas. But n- obviously not a single person won that bet because he knew that she could fucking do it. I, it. It's like insane to me that somebody would buy into that. I don't know if he was pretending to be someone else because it's like, oh, oh yeah, I've known this woman for six years by this point, at least. I bet you she can write with her mouth and people go, no, she could never. It's like, I think he I would bet know. you're right. I think he would know. Yeah. I bet he went into the crowd and dressed as just a general onlooker and went, hey, hey, guy, I'll bet you that blah, 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 and Mm -hmm. just didn't tell anyone who he was. That makes so much sense to me. Right. But so um, she would continue painting these miniature portraits. It proved to be pretty lucrative. Um, They would sell for about three guineas a piece. Um, Not that that mattered to her because he was paying her five guineas a year. What? Mm-hmm. That was her salary. Oh so my God. He was seeing the majority of the profit from her work. Yeah. But then her fortunes were on the brink of change because at the St. Bartholomew's Fair of 1808, George Douglas, the Earl of Morton, he kind of had some doubts as to whether or not she could actually paint unaided. Um, So he said, would you paint a portrait for me and did it in front of him? And he was so blown away that he showed it to King George the (gasps) third. Yes. The mad King George that the U S colonies broke from in the American revolution, but he was also blown away. So the two of them arranged for her to study with a Royal painter who was a drawing master and a painter to the princess of Wales. Oh, my God. So she had Holy real shit. training, not just training from a guy who kind of knew something about art. And and what was the point of that for them? Like, was that just to continue to, I mean, like, the end goal for them in, in training her how to paint um, under under real tutelage, what's what's the idea there? Like, do they still want to show her off and, and make money off of her? Yes or? and no. I feel like it, it was a huge part of the culture then which it's it's sort of becoming a part of the culture now, but we're more crowdsourced, is is many artists sought patronage from mm. the aristocracy. And so they were right. the people who would pay money so that you could live off of your art. And they would get right. they would get kind of credit for discovering you, I would think. They were the ones who would introduce you to new clients and so they could kind of take credit for it i don't know it's probably just bored rich people feeling generous because they had more money than they knew what to do with being able to brag about where the art came from and who Mm -hmm. and who created it to your friends especially if the person is is you know like a circus oddity at the time right i was gonna say wildly talented at the same time 
the sheer yeah. just like um, fascination with her, I think, especially among the elite, was high. Yeah, that's that's interesting and still exploitative. Like their whole intention is to exploit her and but like at what, least what she's not has become stealing her for. money. He's giving her money instead of going. Yeah, I'm going to charge three shillings per portrait that you do, but you only get five shillings a year. Period. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, at, th- at the very least, like, if she's going to be exploited, I'm sure she would would have much preferred to get paid. To get paid. Yeah. Period. Um, like, she's not stupid. She knows. No. <laughs> you know? But I think that the Earl of Morton actually had pretty good intentions for the most part with her. I think he really supported her. And... um. He encouraged her actually for years to leave Dukes and stop traveling with the fair and said, you know, you're good enough. You're getting more prestigious patrons now that I'm introducing you to more people. You're getting, you know, richer clients and you should be you. You're good enough to do this on your own. You don't need him. He encouraged her to leave and it took her years. She's really apprehensive about it because, you know, fear of the unknown and imposter syndrome and all sorts of things that we can relate to. And it's still her home. Yes. Like, she was 14 when she got there. And like, now she's, she's still, in her late still... 20s and she's yeah. she's she's apprehensive and it makes sense. Um, but eventually she did after 16 years of being with Dukes. Ugh. God. Which, you know, if she was 14 when she left to be with him, she was longer with him than not by that point. Yeah. Yep. But so she set up a studio in London uh, and she officially became a professional miniaturist and she painted King George the uh, Third, uh, George the Fourth, William the Fourth, Queen Victoria, Prince Albert and uh, more people, quite possibly even noted mathematician Ada Lovelace, uh, oh. who's somebody we should probably talk about on this podcast. Um, I know <laughs> she's known for her work on Charles Babbage's proposed general purpose computer. Like yeah. this is the, the 1800s and they were doing work on a proposed simple computer. And yep. she did a big yep. bulk of that work. Anyway, she probably painted her. God, that's cool. So to to focus on on miniatures for a sack, it's it's a slightly quieter art form. Um, they they're not big and grand it's their art historians say that they provide fascinating insight into the more intimate and private stories of people Mm. because big oil paintings of rich aristocrats or uh, royalty they kind of demand to be admired by large audiences but miniatures they go in your hand and they're very personal and it's they're kind of private to view they're for certain people question and maybe you don't know the answer to this but do you know or think that women were more often miniaturists than i don't know oil painters you know i don't know on vast canvases i don't know i would be curious to find i I wonder but they among artists are pretty respected Mm -hmm. because they showcase the amount of talent that's required to paint in such fine detail on such a small scale. Yeah. And they also say a lot about the personality behind the artists. They're often viewed as a side story to oil portraiture, but they Mm. were basically essential works of art in a time before photography existed. 
Oh. Her work coming into the art market should help people notice miniatures more and take them seriously as important portraits with a separate history and purpose to the sort of larger oil paintings. They speak to um, more intimate stories about lesser known people, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Yeah. There was like this sort of dichotomy, like you had these marvelous big oil painters and simultaneously you had miniatures these things that were meant to be looked at you know intimately as very private and intimate yeah because you know royals would have miniatures done of them but they weren't meant for broad audiences they were meant for the person that they are given to so it's a very intimate gift Mm mm-hmm that's cool. Yeah. And they're painted for both personal and political reasons. As we kind of implied, there are many portrait miniatures of kings and queens, which are they were given mostly as tokens of loyalty. Um, but mm. it's the portraits of ordinary people, each with their own remarkable story, um, such as a now well-known self-portrait that Sarah did which they're the most fascinating and inspiring. The reason that the the article that I, the, the source that I took this information from was talking about it is because her piece sold for a shitload of money <laughs> at a Sotheby's auction when she was still a relatively unknown artist. And we'll go into that more a little bit later, but that's that's the purpose of like why we talk about her work and her miniature. And oh. it sold for a shitload of money. Even though it's like this big, the self-portrait could fit in the palm of your hand. God. So many people who viewed her self-portrait that she did, they comment first on the quality of the painting or on her hat. Because she's got a really wonderful hat on in the portrait. (laughs) But they don't immediately necessarily see the sewn up sleeves on her dress because she doesn't have open holes in her sleeves, obviously, because she doesn't need them. Oh, right. And the person who wrote this piece said Sarah probably would have likely enjoyed that that's not the first thing people would have noticed. Mm-hmm. Her talent is seen first, followed by the amazement of what she had to overcome. And in the portrait, her expression can easily be interpreted as quietly, but earned triumph. Quiet, but earned yeah. triumph. Um, Ooh, I like that. So now she has her sort of Studio set up in London. She's rubbing shoulders with the upper crust. Charles Dickens mentions her in several of his books. She's mentioned oh. in Nicholas Nickleby, Martin Chuzzlewit, and Little Dorrit. And she was an she was awarded a prize medal from the Society of Arts for her work in 1821. Um, Damn. As a part of this, she donated a self portrait, uh, one of her only works to survive to this day. In it, she is wearing a chain with her medal on it oh man yeah her life kind of took a little bit of a sad turn she gets married to a banker named william wright um their marriage fell apart extremely quickly Uh, i couldn't find why it fell apart really quickly but they separated within a year of getting married um and because of the unfortunate imbalance of uh divorce law in this time William basically got all of her money. And Do you determined think that's why? 
Do you think he, like, married her so that he could get her fucking fortune? I don't know. He's a banker. It's not like he didn't have a decent job. Yeah, but greed makes people do shitty things. And so then, then he got to determine how much money she got per year in alimony. Fuck um, that. So he determined that she should get 40 pounds a year. <gasps> what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then oh. three years after that, the Earl of Morton, who, of course, was her greatest supporter, died. And no. so her commissions kind of started drying up and... Not to mention that she's now middle-aged and she was facing increasing health issues. Like, obviously, the incredible muscle control that you need in your mouth and neck would be reduced as you get older. Um, Yeah. And so, as many artists before her had done and many artists after her have done, she kind of started over and started working the festival circuit again. Yeah. But she had less success this time around. She did have a patron who stepped in to help rally support for her work, which helped her a little bit. Part of this, the work that her patron did, involved filing financial paperwork, which is one of the few things to survive as one of the clues to her personality and her character. In those financial documents, she insists that both Emmanuel Dukes and her husband had done well by her, despite all mm. clear evidence to the contrary. Yeah. She was clearly... To me, this how I interpret that is that she's just clearly determined to not complain or burn bridges. And she kept up mm. a very genial public face until her death, taking most of the rest of the details of her, the rest of her life to her grave. Oh. She was supported in her final years uh, by a pension from Queen Victoria. And she moved, she moved to Liverpool and she had funds donated to her by friends and colleagues. So she, she it's not like she died poor and starving but certainly had a lot less clout and was living a much more um, humble lifestyle than maybe she had been for a little while there and yeah she died at the age of 66 in 1850 and she is buried in St. James Cemetery in Liverpool and uh, most of her epitaph presented her as strong and talented as she presented herself but the final lines show that her loved ones tried as best they knew how to recognize her life's quiet difficulties. Um, so mm. I'm going to read her epitaph because I find it touching. This is, this is what it says verbatim. Reader, pause. Deposited beneath are the remains of Sarah Biffin, who was born without arms or hands at Quantix Head, County of Somerset, 25th of October, 1784. Died at Liverpool, 2nd October, 1850. Few have passed through the veil of life so much the child of hapless fortune as the deceased, and yet possessor of mental endowments of no ordinary kind. Gifted with singular talents as an artist, thousands have been gratified with the able productions of her pencil. Whilst her versatile conversation and agreeable manners elicited the admiration of all. This tribute to one so universally admired is paid by those who were best acquainted with the character it so briefly portrays, do any inquire otherwise, the answer is supplied in the solemn admonition of the Apostle. Now no longer the subject of tears, her conflict and trials are over in the presence of God. She appears on the calm of eternity's shore. Oh. And then, yeah, I know. In 2019, her aforementioned miniature self-portrait sold at auction for 137,500 pounds, which is almost $200,000. Damn. Um 
which in and of itself is a incredibly remarkable sum for a relatively unknown miniaturist working <sighs> in the currently unfashionable early 19th century. So in the art world, that time period is not in vogue right now. Right now. <laughs> um, okay. Mm-hmm. So... The original Sotheby's estimate was that the portrait was going to sell for between 1200 and 1800 pounds, so 1600 to $2,400. Oh, my God, really? Um, <laughs> and it shit. clearly blasted that out of the water. Whoa. And her miniature, the self-portrait that she did, had some damage. There's a crack in the ivory in the corner of it. So it's not even in pristine condition. Jeez. For a piece that's sold for, you know. A hun- more than a hundred times, almost 200 times what they expected it to. Right. Um, the price took everyone by surprise, but the portrait represents much of what we admire today. So she was a person with a disability and she was far more talented than many of her contemporaries who, on the whole, would have been able-bodied men. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, she she represents strength in overcoming not only the prejudice that would have undoubtedly been shown toward a professional female artist, but also someone who would have been viewed at the time as a sort of circus freak. Right. Um, Right. So the odds her whole life were stacked against her. But in this self-portrait, we are presented with the image that she made of herself, which is so powerful to me. Yeah. Um. It's the image she wanted to present to the world of herself. And in her portrait, she is viewed first and foremost as an artist surrounded by the tools of her trade, including a paintbrush tucked into her sleeve, ready for her to paint. Oh, oh I love that. And it's so and- Sarah Biffin. <laughs> God, I, that's so amazing. That story is amazing, especially because like what you just said about how her talent was already, it already surpassed her contemporaries in a lot of ways. Taking taking everything else about her life out of it, that fact alone is noteworthy and makes is remarkable. her noteworthy. Yes, exactly. Like that makes her somebody worth talking about regardless of her status in life or what she was suffering from physically or any of those things right you know or or not suffering from i guess i don't want to assume that that was right i I don't ever want to 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 be a podcast where we sort of romanticize the struggles of of disabled people being like wow isn't it amazing but that's what i mean is that yeah even without her disability her life was remarkable she was born into a poor family and lifted herself up to the, the the aristocracy, begging, knocking on her door, begging them to paint her. Right. Like, have her paint them. Yeah. And then also, she was disabled and had no arms or legs. Right. I can't even imagine. Like, right. That's just, I... Her story is very similar. Well, not very similar. But it's similar in, in some ways to the Artemisia Genelleschi story in that she was, like... A- an amazing painter she had a lot of male contemporaries who were great but not as great as she was and the only difference really is that sarah biffin had other um physical uh differences that she was obstacles (laughs) that she was working with but otherwise the the fact of the matter is is that she was 
an amazing painter who surpassed male contemporaries, period. And, like, everything else just makes her that much more amazing. Right. And that's such... And this is... You know what? I think I I recognize her name because there was a period of time where I was looking for women artists to talk about on mm-hmm. this on this um, show. And so I think I came across her at that point, but I did not do any of this research. I didn't know any of this about her. And I think it's so amazing that she was like, she at 14 was basically like a, a master sewer. She had mastered sewing. She had mastered writing. And then she worked from there to master art. And at 12 years old, I was, like, still picking my fucking nose. Like, I wasn't doing anything. (laughs) And to think that, like, she was on her way. Especially because her family wasn't necessarily helpful. Right. I think they probably did the best they could. They just didn't know what to do for her and treated her kind of like a fragile object. Yeah. And she was like, no. Yeah. I just love that, that image of her parents leaving for the day and her going, now I'm going to get some work done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the age God. of eight, she just decided Ugh. she wanted to learn how to sew. God. Like, like nobody tell me that tying a cherry stem with your tongue is impressive when <laughs> she yeah. learned how to fucking tie, like thread a needle and tie a knot with her mouth alone. I still have I a can't. hard time threading a needle and tying a knot. It's so, it's hard to do. I can't (laughs) even paint. I don't even, uh, you know, what excuse do I have? Not much of one. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. But I I sent you one of the, I don't know if that's the self-portrait that they are discussing that sold, but that is a self-portrait that she did of herself. Oh. Um, Oh, God. The detail. (laughs) I can't even believe that detail. Mm-hmm. And it's so realistic. I mean, I guess the style at the time would have been realism. Right, right. I mean, with as little as I know about art, but like they weren't doing any modern block, you know, blocky things, no Picassos. You know, it's all mm-hmm. very much like this is supposed to look the way the person looked. And she, I mean, she even has these teeny tiny little lights in her eyes. And the mm-hmm. folds on her clothes and the little the little brooch at her throat. I mean, yep. my God. And to be painting that on something so small. Yeah. God, that's insane. No, that she's is really, really cool. cool. <laughs> it's really um, freaking cool. Ugh. I wonder if there's any, if there are any novels or movies about her. I want to. I want to find know. out because she would be such a great subject. I mean, I guess because there's such limited fine detail about her life, but th- I think that could actually be a, a blessing rather than a curse because you can take artistic liberty as a writer hey, and choose. Deanna, you gonna you wanna start <laughs> learning <laughs> screenwriting? Maybe this is the story to do it with. It could be, but she's just, she's so fascinating. And the thing that 
I find the most interesting about her is like the few extant documents that exist with her actual words and, and, and thoughts in them, forgive the pun, paint a picture of <laughs> such a gracious person who didn't hold a grudge and didn't seem to at least publicly sort of wallow in her misfortunes or i mean you think about that time like the shit that charles dickens was writing about the shitty conditions of working class people in that era mm-hmm. i mean that is what is that is the industrial revolution is it not yeah <laughs> and yeah. yeah well and, and I, so uh, yeah <laughs> i can imagine she's just like, a fascinating woman to me and i really yeah. i i feel like she's a person who if i could time travel i'd want to go back in time and just meet right i'm sure she has so many conversations with her yeah to say and and to impart also i mean i feel like the graciousness is probably a product of feeling like if i burn bridges then then i won't have certain types of help that i need but and so in that way i kind of feel like it makes me sad that she felt like she couldn't say certain people have hurt my me. husband's a piece of shit yeah he took all my money and he left me and I, like i was the one making more money yes like it sucks to me that she never felt um or or expressed like any of the hurt that i think would be obvious in that situation but but maybe um, she did i don't know yeah, maybe she maybe was... she didn't feel it that like maybe it, it hurt but yeah I don't know. There just are people in the world who don't. Now we're full circle about like <laughs> positivity and yeah, and making the best of your mental and emotional circumstances and trying to attract that to your life. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it's very possible that I'm the type of person who would have burned every bridge in sight if my... Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck <laughs> yeah. you. Chris Evans and Knives Out, eat shit, eat, eat shit, shit, eat shit, eat shit, eat shit. shit. That you would eat be shit. me. You definitely eat shit. A hundred percent that would be me. Like, if my husband did that shit, I would be like, okay, mm, well, then I'm destroying everything you love. <laughs> but, um, you know, I am, I, I find other viewpoints refreshing. That's fine. But, uh, yeah, I think that's really amazing. And she just, uh, in total, seems like she was so passionate and had such a zest for life and creative work. And, my God, do I admire that. Yeah. Dude, thank you. You're welcome. That was Maybe awesome. it'll inspire us to to buckle down and... And pursue our creative endeavors with more zeal. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Hell yeah. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. 
Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you want to tell me what you're excited about this week? What am I excited about? I mean, I'm mostly excited about um, my break. (laughs) I'm sorry that you don't get as much of a break, but I get a couple weeks off and I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah, I'll probably still well, you be were working your ass off recently. So yeah, like there's so it's many, earned. there's so many exciting things that I don't get to talk about until the new year, um, that I worked really hard on in the last few weeks of this year, which I don't know why it's always chaos in publishing in the last few weeks. Everyone's always like, oh, it quiets down in December. And it's like, no, it's, it's chaos no. until it's just not. And that's... I get the vibe that it's it's the quietest in summer in publishing, because don't you guys have, like, summer Fridays and shit? Yeah, it, it, it used to be really quiet in publishing in the summer, and that just... We do get summer Fridays, because that's an old institutional thing that we just have maintained. It's just what's done. It's just yeah. what's done, but it is still... Like, these days, it's busy as hell, so... I think it is these two weeks between, you know, uh, Christmas and New Year's that tends to be pretty quiet because we all force ourselves to take a break. But the weeks leading up to it, we're all trying to finish all the shit that we've been putting off. And so... So that you can take that break. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And so it gets crazy. And I'm an idiot. And I, I got through all of my queries yesterday, But then I also requested, I have like 25 manuscripts to read because I had so many, I had so many good queries this, this fall. I honestly am kind of stunned by the quality because, um, I had such a hard time, like, passing on a lot of the things that I ended up having to pass on, but I also have just a lot to read. So I'm going to probably still end up reading over the break but I'm still excited to have a break like I I think that's gonna be restorative that's very valid (laughs) and yeah I'm I'm stoked about that I'm also like this is random but Ben and I have started watching the X-Files for the first time in (laughs) my life I've never ever seen the X-Files which is wrong because of who I am. Like, I love speculative things. I love lots of speculative TV shows that are inspired Mm -hmm. by the X-Files and lots of Mm -hmm. books I love have a lot of inspiration. And so it's like, I realized it was time for me to just do it. And it holds up. I am, like, kind of shocked. I've only seen bits and pieces when I was a kid, but the theme song itself... (laughs) Oh, it's traumatized so... me as a child. It's <laughs> yeah. terrifying. It's terrifying. It's truly terrifying. Like the Halloween theme too. To this day, I mean, there's a game that I play um, that you're familiar with, but mm-hmm. like Michael Myers is a part of that game, and every time he shows up unexpectedly, I'm always like, "Fuck!" Because the music plays. It's and yes. I'm like that. Ah! Some theme so songs. X Files is the same. Yes, X Files is so creepy, and um. They shot. Because it was network TV, right? Yeah, it was net. It was on Fox, 
and I'm pretty sure they shot on film. And so it looks really nice. Like, I, that mm. was, I was expecting it to look like the first season of Buffy, which if anyone has seen the first season of Buffy, you know, it looks like shit. You know, you forgive it for the storytelling, but, um, but it looks like shit. But the X-Files, like, looks really good. And where are you watching it? Hulu. Oh, yeah, cool. it's on Hulu. So X-Files <laughs> randomly, but it's great. It's I'm so pleasantly surprised by how solid it is. Even in, it debuted in 1993, I think. Jesus. Can you believe? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't. That's punny that you just did. Because isn't that the whole like tag? I, I believe <laughs> or something. Yeah, I want to believe. Yeah. 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 I want to believe. Because yes. David Duchovny is the believer and Gillian Anderson is the skeptic, right? Yes, exactly. And I will say mm-hmm. David Duchovny is the worst actor I have ever fucking seen. He's terrible. <laughs> He's so bad. Oh, no. But. My aunt loved uh, watching that show for him. He's very handsome. He's, He's handsome. handsome. He's cute. And and he re- there is a charm to his inability to act. Like oddly enough, there just is, and and he does have a certain chemistry with Gillian, Ant- Gillian, Gillian, um, with I Gillian, think it's Gillian, yeah. Like they do have a chemistry, and so I can forgive him for being <laughs> pretty terrible, um, but you know, yeah, that's been fun. I'm I've been pretty stoked about that. So I, I dig it. You know, I'm excited about Break and then watching X Files. Yeah. Yay. And um, yeah. That's that's it. And we have one more episode, I think, coming before the official end of the year. Do I have that right? Like December 29th-ish? Um, and then we're going to be in 2021. So Holy shit. You'll hear us at least one more time before then. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in the meantime... Um, you can reach out to us on social media. We're at GWBB Podcast. We're uh, available via email, gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon at GWBB Podcast. And same with Ko-Fi, which is ko-fi.com. Um, and, you know, we love reviews. Reviews are lovely on iTunes or wherever you listen. But really, we're just so happy you're here, no matter what. We have the loveliest fan base. We are so lucky to have the listeners mm-hmm. that we do. You guys just, you yeah. are the light of our lives, and we appreciate you so much. It's true. So. And you don't have to to be a part of this community, financially speaking, to be a part of this <laughs> right. community. Yep. We'll but we still... appreciate it regardless. Yeah. We love you all regardless yeah. of if you give us money or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, my God. But, yeah. It's not why we do it. <laughs> no, we're here because we need this as much as you probably need it. And um, that's mm-hmm. how that's why we've gotten through these last three years. <sighs> because otherwise, I don't know. I don't know what we would have done. So, yeah, you know. it's almost been Four years now. Yeah, it's crazy. Because if we started in February 2017, mm-hmm. February 2021 is oh, four years. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. What? Well, if you're if you're as happy as we are that, that we're still kicking, leave us a message somewhere 
and um yeah you know just say hi we're here and we like to hear from you and in the yep. meantime happy holidays whatever you celebrate um yule slash the solstice starts on the 21st which is hopefully the day this goes up and yule goes through january 1st so that's my exciting holiday you know season slash time period that i love some of you celebrate christmas some of you celebrate hanukkah uh which i think just ended um as of our recording okay um and some of you don't celebrate anything and that's also totally fine but either way whatever you celebrate have a lovely week and we'll be back next time peace out witches bye bye listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. (laughs) Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moonbounce.